Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi to talk about biblical monsters, biblical cryptids, if you will. Zellwin, how are you? I am doing well, Willie. I feel a certain kinship, I guess, to this episode. Either that or you're not so op- not so <laughs> secretly attacking me. I'm not really sure which. <laughs> right. Well, you know, having a cryptid as a co-host is important. <laughs> Everyone should have one. You know, uh, the rare species of buffalo that you are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of people have probably heard us use that term a lot on here, right? Cryptid. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, uh, kind of what it means. And uh, it's going to be a, a fun episode, I think. It's going to be, I don't know, would you call this a spoopy episode or not? Um, I mean, it might end up going that direction, but I think it's just going to be more of a, let's just look at what the Bible has to say about this random topic, which seems to be something we enjoy doing. Right. And, uh, you know, always, uh, you know, I love the Art Bell style episodes. One day I will transform <laughs> this just into coast to coast, but vintage, like 80s, 90s, coast to coast. That's what you want. <laughs> we want a podcast you can turn on at 2 a.m. when you're driving across the desert. <laughs> we'll get there. But first, where are my manners? How's the weather? The weather has been pretty nice. It is very much uh, spring here in North Dakota, which is, you know, finally a, a good thing. We are very dry, unfortunately, so we continue to pray that the good Lord will send us rain. But I've begun to put my garden in finally, which is which is always nice. And I've been tilling up some new plots and just really getting going. And it's a good feeling to really be back in the, the dirt again. What about you? Well, here it is cold and very rainy. There's going to be a lot of replanting. Uh, a lot of the uh, crops are underwater, both corn and the devil's legume. Uh, the fields uh, are... Um, <laughs> You know, underwater in some places, so the farmers will be out replanting. Thankfully, it's pretty early in the season. Just a lot of rain here, so hopefully, you know, we got the we got the opposite problem that you have. We'll be praying for a little bit drier weather so that they can get out there and get things replanted. And uh, I would like to get my garden finished, but you know, it's just not happened yet. We've actually had two um, or three now freezing warnings or frost warnings, rather mm. frost warnings in uh, the month of May, which is unseasonable. Mm. So. Interesting. Yeah, we've we've had like fire weather warnings, but we, those have been going on for a couple months already. So yeah, things are dry and I just maybe send, send the rain up here, Willie, and then and then we'll just kind of even it out. <laughs> That's right. Well, <laughs> wait on you to do your rain dance and then we can <laughs> we can have it. Well, all right. So we're going to talk about biblical cryptids, biblical monsters. Um, when we use this word cryptid, which I'm sure we'll use about uh, 100 times or more throughout this episode, what do we mean? What What is a cryptid? I suppose that's that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. Crypt, cryptid, in the, the way that I always think of it, is, is those kind of creatures that are, how do you want to say, kind of more outside the norm kind of yeah. a thing. Unsubstantiated, which is kind of, which is like the Merriam-Webster definition. And I, and I think that's a little bit unfair, right? Sure. But it's a, yeah, it's it's these unknown animals. And to say unsubstantiated is a bit loaded because uh, probably some of them are, you know, pretty well evidenced, but they're just not discovered. It's very much a modern kind of term. And somewhere in this is the line between the real animal and the mythological animal. And we've kind of said in modern times, well, if we haven't found this animal, it's not real. But there are examples of cryptids being found. Right. Because as man is so arrogant, he thinks that he has learned he has discovered everything, right? But even in jungles, they're still discovering things, uh, certainly in the oceans, which is absolutely a frightening concept. But, I mean, you think about, like, if you told um, if you told someone uh, about what a platypus was, right? you know, b- before the modern era, before photography, they would think you were lying. 
Well, it wasn't there the story that when they actually brought one back for the first time to like England, someone they thought it was just a fake that people had sewn it together just as a joke kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. And who can blame them? <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. I mean, the the thing is bizarre just to begin with. But I mean, your, your point is well made though that you know we don't want to just dismiss things as saying, oh, we know better. These are all just made up until sure. proven otherwise. Well, I mean, the Komodo thing. dragon was probably was one of these at one point. There's that weird, that weird deer-looking thing. I think it was found, of course, in Australia or something like that. The okapi or something. I mean, the big squids. I mean, there's all kinds of things that have been discovered. That doesn't mean you should believe every single, single account. And yet, when we're talking about this biblically, we do have monsters, giant creatures referenced in the scriptures. And that's why we're talking about this. There are many ways that people have tried to explain these things and try to explain them away. And people are naturally curious. So they want to hear about these things. Well, what is Leviathan? What is Behemoth? I've got this King James version. It says unicorn. What should I do? How should we read these sorts of things? And we want to tackle them seriously uh, because the Bible does reference them and, and references them in a way that, you know, at times might be metaphorical. But that's a cop-out if we want to take every reference to these things as purely metaphorical. That's an easy way out. Right. So we're going to talk a bit about, you know, dinosaurs, things like that. Uh, the thunder lizards, as uh, your preferred term. And, <laughs> the, and only, talk, the only real term. <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll look a little bit about how these kinds of animals were viewed throughout history. And we're going to see that modern paleontology just sucks all the fun out of talking about these kinds of animals. No, it's it's going to be a good time, definitely. I think, you know, really the reason we're taking it up is that modern critics will go, well, look at these. These are fairy tales. Dragons aren't real, they will say, you know, or whatever. It's it's just amazing the stuff they'll they'll believe in, right? The soul isn't real, but then they'll talk about the subconscious for hours on end. Uh, you know, <laughs> you can't see the soul. Oh, here's my subconscious. Here's my id and my ego. You know, all of these all of these things. So very inconsistent there. It's kind of like the the scientific understanding of dinosaurs, for example. Like 19th century era, that's when the term dinosaur is coined, right, Zelwyn? Something right. like that? Right. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a, it's a fairly modern term. And they're cool. They're big, scaly monsters. Could you imagine being a kid nowadays with some scientist telling you that the T-Rex actually looked like a big chicken? <laughs> leave, leave dinosaurs alone. You're just making it up anyway. At least let them be cool. At, at least let me have Jurassic Park, the first one, not two and three. You that's know, true. That's, that's we can, true. We'll let those two go. But. It was a magic experience um, <laughs> seeing those dinosaurs alive for the first time. Uh, yeah, like you say, I mean, especially when you're dealing with something like dinosaurs and stuff like that, and the fact that the term itself is so relatively recent, people will say, oh, well, you know, there's all this evidence for that. But then, well, maybe many of these things that people are touting as evidence for these things are actually what cultures have always known have just called by different names. Yeah. And that's why that's why we're tackling the subject. Not because we shouldn't approach the, the biblical witness, we shouldn't even approach the past with just kind of this dismissive attitude, but it should really come at it with a certain I mean a healthy skepticism with some things outside the Bible, of course, but actually taking these things seriously because I mean our ancestors weren't idiots. <laughs> right. And that's the thing. They'll they'll say, well these were primitive people and so they would see a skeleton of some long extinct animal and they would reconstruct it incorrectly. Like, okay, I think that's some projection there, Mr. Modern Paleontologist. <laughs> because how many times do they revise that? Right. It actually seems, Ellen, in the historic witness, there are animals like this living much further in history than what we would believe. Right. Oh, without without question. Especially I think we'll we'll tackle this a little bit more, but uh, even as relatively recently as you know, in the you know, the AD uh, yeah. era, you know, there were still accounts of these kinds of giant creatures. Well, and you have at least one account of a mammoth up until the 1600s. Sure, and and that's sort of outside the Bible, so it doesn't really it doesn't really go into this episode. But to say that these things are totally extinct and they were extinct billions and, or millions of years ago is where we go. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I mean, you, you, well, maybe I'll just bring it up too. I mean, you have the the Roman accounts of you know some of these great lizards, especially in northern Africa. Yeah, the 
The basilisk is that Bas- basilisk. Um, also, some other just general lizards. One which was taken back to Rome, I think, it was like 120 feet long or something like that. I mean, right. what was that account legitimate? Because you know, again, it's not the biblical one. I mean, we can have an honest question there, but still, you know, this is not just in the the far way back that our ancestors, you know, when people just didn't know anything. You know, this this was you know relatively recent. I mean, even even Justinian, for that matter, in the 500s. There's an account of him uh, going after a great sea creature, which was harassing Constantinople, mm-hmm. you know, and harassing the sea traffic at that time. And they and, which yeah. ended up killing itself. But I mean, it just this is something that we we see occurring through history, not just way back when. Right. And, you know, we're going to get into some of these. We're going to talk about St. George a bit and things like that. John of Damascus and those sorts of things, uh, because it's important. So, or St. John, you know, Damascene, right. uh, whatever you prefer before we get letters on how to name people. <laughs> so, yeah, so we've established here already that the biblical authors aren't merely primitive, that they would have known what they would have seen. And they're going to give very vivid descriptions of some of these animals, some of these, I'm going to say creatures. And we're also going to tackle things outside of, corporeal creatures right we're gonna we might get into angels and stuff a little bit later on they are created after all right but god has made things and we read the that bit of the creation account at the beginning and god has made things that would boggle our minds if we saw them and i do believe that he's probably that he's made things that have gone extinct um we can hold to a biblical account of the flood with certain animals being preserved on there and then dying out later for various reasons. I think that that's fair. Sure. Yeah. And it word fitly doesn't really get into scientific explanations for things like this. That's not really our thing. Uh, we more just boldly assert where the scripture does. <laughs> and that's, that's how I do everything. That's how I, that's how I win. But, but at the same time, uh, there are, there are, there, excuse me, there is a place for, for those kind of evidences, I think, although those are really just theories too. You know, the the dragons could have, you know, starved because there was less megafauna after the flood. I I don't know. I don't know exactly (laughs) what the antediluvian world was like either. Or you could just say that, you know, if if we want to associate these giant, you know, lizard creatures, you know, like with what the Romans were saying, that maybe they were just hunted out. I mean, even something far less mundane as, say, like wolves here in the western United States were hunted to extinction, although the government is trying to bring them back, but we won't get into that discussion. <laughs> right, uh, right. And they're doing that in other states, too. They're, they want to get, get the wolves back. Like, we drove them out for a reason. <laughs> so, I mean, so it's not unheard of to think that maybe uh, these creatures were hunted to extinction because maybe they were a threat to, you know, whatever, to shipping, to, you know, cattle, I mean, anything. I mean, there's, there's, you could go with that direction as well. So is your position that dragons were hunted out? Maybe. I mean, I mean, you wouldn't want one roaming around. Good heavens. No. I mean, if, if it's coming in, especially if it's harassing like your, your livelihood, I mean, I don't know if I want to buy into the kidnapping princesses bit, you know, cause there is, there is a certain amount of mythology that we have to separate. And that's something that I think we're going to do once we get to, you know, talking about these creatures individually, but to say like this, you know, this giant creature is, you know, coming after your livestock or is harassing your town or something like that. Yeah, I would want to protect my my livelihood or my family from something like that. And as we're also going to discuss, especially in the case of serpents and dragons, there is there are both na- naturally occurring you know creatures, animals, but also a demonic aspect to this too. Sure. Because oftentimes the scripture is going to use it in that way. So we'll talk about that. So this is both a zoological and a spiritual discussion. It's going to go can't everywhere. Really separate the two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mothman episode coming up when, and 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 this is actually good too to talk about because we'll eventually do that follow up to the UFO episode and UFOs are in the news every day. Some of these creatures, especially when we talk about the spiritual ones, um, can be deceptive for people too. Sure. And I and, and I do believe that approaching uh, biology with a purely naturalistic viewpoint is obviously spiritually damaging. Because you're you're first going to look at these accounts in the Bible of, say, Leviathan or Behemoth and go, okay, well, how can I make this look like some kind of natural animal or, or animal that we know? I mean, right. animal that, that we know, like you would get in zoo books or something. 
And then you're going to be like, okay, it's probably this animal. And then you're going to say, no, it can't really be that because it really looks nothing like what the Bible describes. The dominoes keep falling. You, you stop believing in the scripture. A couple things, a few takeaways here. One, the Bible is reliable. Two, ancient people are not entirely primitive, not really not primitive at all, and, and depending on the culture. Right. And, uh, and three, uh, that m- there is truth in mythology. And we're going to talk about that a lot uh, because it's easy to just say that the stuff in the distant past, the stuff of the ancient Greeks, the stuff of the ancient Romans, it was all completely exaggerated. Well, perhaps it was at times, but we don't really know that, do we? Right. And and so we look at a case of like Pliny the Elder talking about some giant monster, but he also talks about a very tiny venomous snake, more venomous than um, than any snakes we know now, but we don't want to doubt that. But when we're faced with something bigger than us, I mean, literally in this case, physically bigger than us, sure. Then, then we're like, oh, well, that's just that's just beyond the pale. Well, okay, then you're going to deny Goliath, you're going to deny King Og, you're going to deny this. So let's take the biblical witness for what it is. Look at some of the texts and see if we can discern things. We will be accused of being overly literalistic, whatever that means. Um, but they say the same thing to us uh, when we talk about women's ordination, right? <laughs> so whatever, dude. Look. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is, if you don't believe in dragons, you will ordain women eventually. <laughs> wow. Now, that, that's an assertion I can get behind. <laughs> <laughs> if you, it's, when, you, when you don't believe the Bible, that's what happens. Right. Well, I mean, and I, I think your point, I mean, I, I know what you're trying to say. You're just being kind of bold about it. But the point is well made that we do need to take the biblical witness seriously and to actually approach these things with a certain amount of humility as well. Because if we're coming at it with this assumption that, oh, well, we know better, or oh, well, the biblical writers didn't really know what they were talking about, or they're just exaggerating or something like that. Uh, We will start to go and to start looking at other things within the scriptures with the same kind of critical light, which is very dangerous, ultimately, to to our spiritual health. Yeah, you can't. I mean, this is how you get into denying miracles and everything else. If if you're going to deny that God could create a sea monster, you're you're going to deny that God can raise people from the dead. And they'll go, oh, well, no, you're just being crude and and unfair. Well, I'm not being crude and unfair. It always leads to this. And it's amazing to me to watch like people deny the biblical account of creation and they end up denying all kinds of things you think aren't related, like the law of God. Right, you know, and everything else. It's it almost without exception. This is what happens. Now, this is not meant to be a debate on young Earth or things like that. But I'm just saying, six day creation plus a day of rest. That's how God did it. <laughs> right. Well, and 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 maybe another good point to make here too is that, like, when you're dealing with the, the controversies within the within the LCMS, you know, especially over biblical issues, a topic that continuously came up was like, you know, Jonah and the whale. Yeah, you know? yeah. So dealing with these kinds of, you know, cryptids, these biblical cryptids, these biblical yeah. thunder lizards, as we like to say. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, our, our boy, our boy, Uncle Herman Otten, he, he came out, you know, he, this is one of his one of his things. He, he was talking about Joan and the whale a lot in those Seminex days, mm-hmm. which, by the way, that episode, Lord willing, will be in the can before too long. We know you're all chomping at the bit. Not the, not the Simonex episode, the Otten episode, although six and one, half a dozen the other. Oh, right. <laughs> we got to talk about both at the same time. Right, exactly. So anyway, any uh, we're coming up on the break. What, anything you want to say before we go away? No, I think I think as we're dealing with the, crypt, the, the various animals and other creatures that we're going to be talking about here in the next couple of segments, you know, we do want to approach it with, like you say, a certain amount of humility. And we do want to say that, you know, this is God's word. And so we don't want to try to explain these things away either. I mean, we'll be fair. You know, we will try to be sensitive to where, you know, the, the biblical witness is speaking more uh, spiritually or speaking more symbolically. But that's not we can't just explain everything away with that, you know, excuse, so to speak. So, yeah. So I think it's going to be a good time as we start to dig in. Very good. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken after this. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all them that trust in him. 
The book that sits on your shelf, The One Gathering Dust, Word Fitly Spoken, asks you to once again take up and read. Hear the words of the only wise God and be saved. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi to talk about biblical monsters. All right, Zelwyn, so we've laid out the case of where we're coming from, um, presupposing the Bible is true and accurate. We're going to get into some actual biblical accounts here and explain why we think these are actual animals. You know, the first one we're going to tackle is behemoth. I suppose I could be a non-American English-speaking person and say behemoth, or something like that, <laughs> like I'm on the BBC, or Behemoth, but I'm not going to do that. It's Behemoth. And so, what is it? <laughs> Where do we find him? Well, we find Behemoth, especially in Job chapter 40, beginning at verse 15. Uh, the Lord is speaking to Job out of the whirlwind and kind of challenging Job because Job up to this point in the book of, in this book has been challenging God and saying, you know, that he has to answer, that God has to answer to him because he hasn't done anything wrong. And as, you know, as it basically says, Job had been justifying himself in his own sight. And so the Lord comes and is basically showing him, you know, that no, I don't have to answer to you. And one of the things that he does to show that is say, you know, behold, the works of my hands, you know, behold, the things that I have made, one of which is this creature called behemoth. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, should, do you want to go through the, the exact description of it or how, how uh, do you want to tackle it? We better. We better. <laughs> <laughs> so Behemoth is some great creature. I mean, he's described here in Job 40 as something that eats grass. So he is a land animal of some kind, but one whose strength is in his loins, his powers in the muscles of his belly. His tail is stiff like a cedar. You know, he's his sinews are knit together, his bones are like bronze, his limbs like iron, and he is called the first of the works of God. Uh, basically, the, the kind of creature that man is not going to be able to overcome, that only God can ultimately um, conquer, that only God can ultimately be over. And the, right. the power of this creature is supposed to humble Job, right? Right. And you know people are really disappointed we're not talking about Thomas Hobbes right now. <laughs> I don't know about disappointed is the word, but <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about the state here. So, and then also there's a description that he, you know, dwells among the lotus plants, the river is, he's not frightened by the river. This is a creature that maybe was dwelling in or near, you know, the river in that way. But again, I mean, how do we identify him? You know, can we identify him um, with anything right. that, that we see into the world today? Yeah. And so you're going to have a few different options to, on, on what we what we do with this thing. I would like to point out, Book of Enoch has Behemoth as a mighty man or male land creature. So <laughs> Enoch says he's real, and then you get Leviathan, but it's kind of the same thing, but in the sea. Right. And I think, and I think a lady. So um, <laughs> that's kind of important. Well, they just kind of show us that the tradition of this being a real animal. Right. You know, and you can get really esoteric with it. You know, the land animal, the sea animal, and then uh, the sky monster, Zs, you know, and that's like a <laughs> bird thing. But we're not going to get into that. We're going to stick with, with the Bible. And we could, I mean, we could go into other extra biblical literature, too, but let's stick with some modern stuff here. So really what you come into are, are just one of these three things. He's a, just a mythical beast. A, a, he's an invention of the author of Job. Okay, so you get it's just a poetic usage, or he's a real animal, which is where we're going to fall. But most natural accounts are going to make it into what? Well, there's I've heard a hippopotamus is one, I've heard even a crocodile is another. Um, but these, I, I don't know, these kinds of, of animals that we try to identify it with, you know, that zoo book kind of approach to it here, 
I don't think they really do it justice because have you ever seen a hippopotamus and you would say, wow, that tail looks like a cedar? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could, you could say that the, maybe the elephant's tail is stiff like a cedar, but that's still kind of a dinky tail for a big animal. Right. And also it's, it's like, well, you know, who can overcome these animals? Well, the elephant's almost extinct. Right. Right. I mean, you can shoot I, an elephant in the yeah, face. In the face and drop it. <laughs> you, you need a good, a, a decent, decent cartridge, but it can be done. I mean, the ivory hunters have proven this. And even, even quote unquote primitive man with their spears and whatnot have been able to down woolly mammoths. So, okay. Right. Uh, kind of scratch that off the list. And really what, what they're going to say is, well, you know, clearly they're just exaggerating the attributes of this animal. But again, this is used as a concrete example. For Job. Right. You know, using Behemoth and then later Leviathan. Some people are going to say that Behemoth resembles a dinosaur, what we would call a dinosaur today. So you've got these dinosaurs with these great big tails that are more tree-like, and they also eat grass. Right. A uh, hippopotamus uh, just eats people in boats, I think. <laughs> and we all know that elephants eat circus peanuts. They're <laughs> scared of mice. And are scared of mice. It's very, they hold onto a feather. They can fly. There's racist crows. I don't understand every, <laughs> I fell asleep in zoology class is what I'm saying. I, <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're especially woke now. We can't actually watch Dumbo anymore, but not without it, not without the warning. No, you know, I, I, I just, I don't know. I miss the days you could watch a Disney movie, uh, without one, a trigger, a trigger warning and two, uh, being woke to the, uh, evil plots of a soulless corporation. And and also, I miss when nature shows were just a, a lovable Australian man who is good to his family, jumping on the backs of crocodiles. Better times. Better, Better times. times. Simpler times. Simpler times. Uh, anyway, so back to Behemoth. Yeah, could you say it's possibly um, some sort of extinct type of creature? Yeah, I think absolutely. Here, what, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think either that this creature has gone extinct or that this is something that is, you know, certainly not nearly as common anymore. The fact that he is described as being in, I mean, Job is, you know, one of the men of the East. So it's supposed to be in this kind of a Middle Eastern kind of creature. You know, it's possible that this thing is just gone. And that's okay. That doesn't change the point that God was making at the time to Job. And when I say or hear something like mythological creature, I'm not necessarily saying it wasn't real. I think there can be something entirely other about these creatures, too something that we just can't fathom anymore because sure. we're so naturalistic. Sure. So these, these great and mighty beasts of old may well have been real, but they are now gone. And if they are gone, especially in the case of Behemoth and Leviathan, it's because God has put them away. Sure. And they are so ingrained into the culture of the Bible that they are going to be referenced later, especially Leviathan. And they're going to be used as metaphors uh, for like Egypt, for example, like Leviathan is. We'll talk about that. And I guess since I keep saying Leviathan, maybe we should move on to that guy. Well, because there's really not a whole lot to say about Behemoth because the description is just kind of made and then and it quickly moves on. Whereas with Leviathan, the description is much longer. So yeah. Right. And uh, don't let so we're going to go to Leviathan and then we're going to move on to uh, sea creatures in general. So let's not forget to do that because there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about there. Right. All right. So tell us about Leviathan. Ah, Leviathan. Great name. It is. It is a great name. And Leviathan is a, a great sea creature. We, we can tell that right away by the description that is given of him. Um, so, you know, can you draw him out with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? You know, basically, you know, can you, can you make him your servant? Can you conquer him? No, I mean, that's ultimately, again, it is this image of power that uh, God is presenting to Job. You know, this great creature is not something that you are able to tame. It's not something you are able to conquer. And it is an evidence of the glory of God. He's also described in many ways as being like, um, you know, who can open the doors of his face? This is Job 41, verse 14. Around his teeth is terror. You know, his back is made of rows of shields shut up closely as with a seal. So, you know, he's described as having this armor-like skin. Um, I think the one that's the most interesting are, is like in 18 and 19, where he's described as uh, basically breathing fire. You know, that out right. of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth, uh, that he is a fire-breathing creature of some kind uh, that dwells within the sea and is basically, you know, it, the, the folds of his flesh stick together. 
his heart as hard as a stone. Yeah. You know, you basically he is this great sea lizardish yeah. thing. I mean, there are three or four verses dedicated to the fire breathing. Right. And he is, and then maybe the way to really tie it all up is at the end of the chapter where it says, on earth there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Yeah. And yet the Lord is greater than he. Lord is, is greater than he. Yeah. Um, clearly a real thing. Mm-hmm. And Leviathan's the trickier one because he is tied to, you know, satanic stuff later on in history. Sure. Even, you know, even used in Christian imagery you know, as an image of Satan. But again, that's kind of way, not kind of, it just plain is way, way later in history. Right. Which, which is not insignificant though. But even modern Satanism uses the image of Leviathan and their, can we, whatever we want to call it, their philosophy. Right. And, and so that's, that's an unhealthy use of Leviathan. The whole point of mentioning him in the Bible, this great fearsome creature is that God tames it. Right. That God is greater than it, but also to show the, how do you want to say the, the the lowliness of man in comparison with this creature? You know that exactly. You know that that man is yes. We say that he is the crown of the creation, and he is because he is the one you know set in dominion over all things. But at the same time, this creature is not one that he is able to tame. That God has created this beast now. I guess you could say after the fall that that Job is not able to exercise any kind of real dominion over, but the Lord can. Right. So let's talk about what Leviathan is then. Um, his name derives from like a coil. So that's where you get this serpentine notion to him, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think even Isaiah uses Leviathan, the twisty serpent, the twisting serpent. Right. So, so we got that. The Septuagint calls Leviathan a dragon, in, right. at, least, at least in the Isaiah usage, which again, by the time you get to Isaiah, it is a metaphorical usage. But there's still this image going all the way back to Job of this primeval creature. So what could he be? If you are purely natural or you know evolutionist, I guess you're going to say, well, it's probably just a crocodile or something made up. And you're going to hear this term a lot when you research this, Zelwyn, chaos creature. Okay. <laughs> uh, whatever that is. So it's a creature representing chaos. And we're going to talk about that because it is true when you get into sea monsters and the serpents, especially into the New Testament, where the serpents are all, these monster serpents are in the sea. And the sea does right. represent chaos. So that is true, but you can, that's that's like using biblical typology to deny the events of the Bible happen. That's like saying, because there are types and shadows of Christ in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament didn't happen. Right. And some right. people admittedly do that. Right, right. Well, and, and it, when we're dealing with the, the imagery of sea as the place of chaos, sea as the place of terror, I mean, that is certainly true. You get that throughout the Psalms. You get that in the New Testament. And, that you know, this, this imagery of something that can't be con- controlled, that can't be overcome, and is therefore a place that is, you know, I mean, like you say, the place of the demonic, the place of, you know, outside of, you know, the, the realm of man. That's all true, but it has to be based on something. Right. And the fact that, you know, this this creature lives within the sea is an expression of, you know, what would express itself as chaos. So the creature first then gives way to the idea. Yeah. So you've got sea creatures in the Bible and you've got fire breathing dragons and sea creatures going all the way up well into the A.D. period. Right. And so and even up into Europe. They, they, these, uh, like Vikings raid or not Vikings. Yeah, I guess it'd be Vikings, you know, raid. And then, oh, they, they report seeing fiery dragons. And we always say, well, they're just exaggerating. But why do we say that? Because we know better, right? Because we, yeah, that's, that's the only reason. (laughs) Well, they were trying to stop people from going there, you know, so they would, you know, uh, so that they would be, you know, dissuaded from going. That's purely because, because in my reason, I can't accept that there are things I don't understand or that extinct things I can't see that couldn't have been real. Right. And we have animals that do lots of weird things that we know about. So fire breathing doesn't seem beyond the pale to me. When you've got those glow in the dark fishes in the bottom, you've got bugs that can spray uh, chemicals. And we all saw Jurassic park, which is a documentary and they can shoot that black (laughs) goo in the face. The thing with the, 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 the Bethkin, the Bethkin uh, dinosaurs. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't remember what they're called either. <laughs> right. But they kill Newman. But they kill Newman. That's all we need right. to know. But I mean, okay, so let's let's kind of dig in a little bit because maybe this is a good point to talk about the the kind of how do you want to say the the more mythological things that kind of accumulate around these creatures because we hear the word dragon and we associate lots of ideas with it some some biblical many of them not you know sure. so how do we distinguish you know what is and what isn't biblical yeah you know so first of all what do we normally associate with dragons right uh, like gold you know the dragon horde that's a very um northern kind of yeah. thing yeah i think your people would would do that yeah right i mean you have the account of um Fafnir, for example, coming from the Eddas, uh, and you know he had, was turned into a dragon, and he was he was holding on to gold, so he was hoarding. So you know you do have that kind of mythology that is coming from the north. So that's kind of where that I I mean, or even something much more more familiar to our listeners probably say like uh, Smog in The Hobbit, right? Mm-hmm. Tolkien drawing on a lot of those northern ideas to create that that imagery as well. You know that's what we normally associate with dragons, but what what is it about smog that is different from Leviathan? Well, smog is a land creature. Smog is you know a gold hoarding creature, you know that sort of thing. Whereas Leviathan is described in terms of the sea. So I mean, we do need to see that you know just as if yeah. we say dragon, we're not just saying oh well everything right. about. And we're going to talk about true. about the you know dragons in our modern usage a little bit more later too, uh, just because it's what we want to do and it's important because they show up everywhere and in every culture right uh i want to talk a little bit about sea monsters though uh really quick um because we're running out of time so you, you want to go a different direction that's okay well well just you know it's in this segment so we've got sea monsters there in genesis and the the word that um the greeks use is what it's the katos it's the right okay so that's that's your septuagint and this is connected to Jonah with the great fish, but the Septuagint translates it as the mega katos. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the giant sea monster. Right. And yes, that word, I suppose you could make mean whale, but it has more to it. And so what we're saying is if we're really honest with the language used, if we're honest with the language used, then it's broader than whale. Right. It's broader than just something we can easily explain. Right. And and so even in the Vulgate later, what do you have? The Piscus Grandis, right? right. The, the big fish. The big fish. <laughs> the big fish. So the earlier translators, I think, were a bit more honest. You know, we can't narrow it down to what this is, but there are simply creatures, and that's the word that's used. And and I just find it interesting that the Septuagint uses Katos for it, which means any huge sea monster. Right. Right. Well, and, and then so if, if we want to associate Leviathan with the, the Katos, although, you know, biblically it doesn't use that word. Well, um, no, the Septuagint does. Oh, it does? Right. No, wait, here, in, wait. here in Job? Uh, no, no, sorry, in Jonah. In Jonah, right. But yeah, it doesn't use Leviathan in Jonah. Is what I'm correct, saying. correct. So what I'm saying is, is that we could consider Leviathan to be a type of Katos, even though the, the Bible doesn't use it that way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My point is, is that Leviathan is not the only occurrence of a sea monster. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm trying to broaden it out here because we've spent a lot of time just on behemoth and Leviathan, but there's broader categories of big giant animal in the Bible. Well, even even your Genesis reading at the beginning, you know, the the Tanim, the the great sea creatures, those those aren't just like whales and stuff. I mean, this is the the sea monsters, you know, the the. The big ones that yeah, and and so the, and and then that brings us kind of to Jonah, right? So you're going to say, well, Leviathan is a crocodile, and Behemoth is, uh, you know, my uncle Joe's big cow, and so what? What do you make of Jonah? Okay, if you're going to spiritualize Behemoth and Leviathan to the point of not being anything, is it reasonable then to simply spiritualize Jonah's experience? Well, he was really adrift at sea. You know, uh, it's impossible that God could create in six natural days. So Jonah could not survive the gastric acids of a of a big fish for three days. That's just silly. I mean, but it's it's there, fam. Right, it's there. <laughs> just as Leviathan, yeah, just as Jonah and the whale is very clear on what happens, it appears that Leviathan and Behemoth are very clearly referred to as real creatures and not merely metaphorical. The at least up into the sec, uh, you know, Second Temple, you know, Judaism era. Up to the time of Christ, uh, 
many biblical authors are understanding these to be real animals. They're treated as real animals. And within the Old Testament, especially Leviathan, they are used as metaphors for Satan or, or that's more New Testament, but as metaphors for Egypt or the enemies of God. So that's very natural. But we do that too in English, right? If I say this man is a lion, I'm not saying lions are fake. I'm not saying lions are made up. I'm using an animal that you understand to describe this person because it is a real example. Right. For example, if I say uh, to use a negative version of that, if I call, if I say this, this person's a, a, this is a real pussycat. Well, you know, that means a very, a very weak and timid person. And all of the guys that I would use that term toward, they're not throwing away their house cats. They take their selfies with. (laughs) Well, right. I mean, so we, we do use the language metaphorically, but maybe, maybe the way to really drive the point home here is that, you know, to use these things in a, in the literal sense that these are real creatures, take it the way that our Lord did, you know, that just as the, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know, the Lord himself takes this as a literal thing, as this is something that actually happened. So, yes, I mean, we should be, if Jesus takes it seriously, we should too. Yeah, and I suppose this is all kind of a backdoor episode on just the doctrine of creation. He didn't intend it that way, but... But once you, I mean, this is really to deny a lot of these creatures exist is, you know, hubris one, but it's also to deny the biblical account in many cases, especially the case of Jonah. And it's so, it's interesting to think our synod nearly split over this. Right. But back in the day, we had the gumption to say, no, we're going to draw a line here. God says it happened, it happened. (laughs) And then the enemies of the church will go, well, that's fundamentalist. Well, okay. You can be called worse things, I suppose. Hey, man, fundamentalistic can be a pretty decent term. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, hey, we're going to talk more cryptids right after this. The word of the Lord says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. You can check out all of the Word Fitly Spoken podcasts on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. Willie Grills and Zell and Heidi here talking biblical monsters. Well, we spent a lot of time on Leviathan and Behemoth last time. Um, a little bit of time on Jonah and the Whale, but we're just trying to establish that the Bible speaks of these in different ways. And yet you you cannot deny that one of the ways that they speak of them are as actual creatures. So now we're going to move on just a little bit outside the Bible for a second. We've talked about dragons a lot. And... We, we visited a little bit last segment, but let's talk a, a few more points about dragons. As Zelwyn mentioned, you have dragons in later mythologies, and dragons are attested to in nearly every single culture. The Bible uses the term dragon in many ways, uh, sometimes dragon or serpent, to refer to the devil uh, or to refer to demons. It's interesting that across cultures, you have very similar depictions of these pagan gods, and often they have a serpentine form to them which I find interesting. And you at least have a few attestations to dragons in church history, most notably St. George. Right. And which I do believe uh, is true because the church has universally accepted that one. Right. You know, even if you spiritualize it, still a good story. I don't tend to spiritualize it. I like to say it's both right. He, he slew the dragon. And then what's a greater, what's a greater story we can learn about this, that Christ conquers the devil. I think you can have your cake and eat it too, but I do think it happened. And then most notably, as far as dragons go, John of Damascus actually affirms 
dragons. Okay, so he's a late church father, writes a book called On Dragons and Ghosts. It's like it's like if Word Fitly was uh, ancient, you know. <laughs> and 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 basically, people are coming to him and saying, "Well, they say that that dragon or that people can take the form of animals, right?" Or uh, they say, you know, they can do all these different things. And he basically just says, trust the Bible, trust what Moses says, trust the Holy Spirit speaking through Moses. And then he talks about them coming to Adam and Adam naming everything. John of Damascus literally says, I'm not telling you that there are no dragons. He says, but, and he kind of gives a more naturalistic explanation for me. He says, but they're, they're big serpents and that they can grow up to 45 feet tall or long. Right. And they become as big as a huge log. So he actually affirms the existence of giant, uh, I want to say reptiles. That's uh, as close as I can come to describing them, right? So he believes in them. And so there, there's, church, there's a church father. There's at least one notable case in church tradition. And, of course, the dragon imagery all throughout the world, and then dragon imagery even in, in a Christian artwork, which sometimes is going to represent real dragons, and other times are metaphors. So we can have both, and I think that that's important. I think it's important to have both. But, you know, why why are these chosen to represent the devil? That's the interesting question. Well, I mean, okay, so let's let's take the book of Revelation, which describes the, the devil as the great dragon, you know, the great red dragon even. Okay, so, you know, the, obviously that's using it in a, maybe a more spiritual sense. But at the same time, for this image to have any sort of meaning, it has to be rooted in something. You know, we don't talk about uh, the New Jerusalem as being this purely mythological idea or something like that. You know, it is rooted in the, you know, the actual Jerusalem. You have to start exactly. with something in order to make sense of what the the, the symbol means. So for, the, the, for Satan to be described as a dragon means that there has to be something from which to start with, so to speak, so that he becomes the embodiment of this thing that everybody is well aware of right right yeah exactly and it's just no coincidence to me that the demons would pick up this imagery and run with it they're they're so deluded that they think that this is a compliment to them that it makes them (laughs) into something crafty and mighty you know they it's it's as if they're blind to the end of the story here and the same thing with satanists picking up this imagery of you know serpents or even leviathan like did you not read the book it's not a compliment the Lord is the one who is still has dominion over all of them. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And it's just so, it's just so interesting to me. I mean, just how many, you know, these conflicts of, of serpent, giant serpents and, and what we would call dragons and things just keep popping up. I mean, not just like ancient Mesopotamia, but even on into like, you know, the middle ages and the golden legend, things like that. And we've talked at length, you know, here before about what to do with, say, Greek myth and Roman mythology. What are the grains of truth there? We're not affirming Jove. We're not saying Jove is like a true god, right? Or Zeus is the the mightiest god. We're saying these are demons masquerading, and there's probably more truth to these ancient events than what we would like to believe, because that's what demons do. And it's it's similar to, to these giant creatures that are no more. They are real, but what do we make of them? How do we interpret them biblically? And in the case of cryptids, I think it makes it pretty, pretty simple. Well, now let's get into the really fun part. Uh, so unless you have more you want to say on dragons. No, I think we can keep going. And if you guys want to know, talk more about St. George or John Damascus or whatever, you know, head over to WordFitly Posting and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. There are a few things that might not be pure cryptids, but we need to talk about. Uh, let's talk about giants. <laughs> You're you're excited already, Willie. I can tell. I am. So. We're, we will we will do the Enoch episode one day, one day. <laughs> well, we we actually had this discussion in my uh, Bible class the other day because we were talking about um, entering the the people of Israel entering into the land of Canaan, you know, spying out the land, and then they come back and gave a report that you know, oh, these these Canaanites are actually taller than us. You know, the sons of Anak are there. As I pointed out, and especially as we see in the book of Deuteronomy, for example, uh, with King Og, whose bed is described as being 10 feet long, uh, these these were, for the lack of a better way of putting it, giants. You know, these were abnormally tall men who lived in the, at least in the land of Canaan at that time, but that they are no more. Um, and I don't think that, 
you know, because someone asked at that time, should we just think of this as pure exaggeration? I said, well, no, because, you know, this this is I mean, we see with Og and his bed, for example, this being presented in a very matter of fact kind of way. And even Goliath, for that matter, who's described as being what? nine feet tall right sure. six cubits yeah. in a span yeah i mean the closest you get to poetic is like we're like gra- grasshoppers to them right right uh, but it still doesn't that still means they're huge right <laughs> and you could and you can and you know so they're not literally this the, like the size of grasshoppers but the point is they ain't small and people will go well see that's metaphorical like you just that's not how it works right there's really something big something big and, and mighty here. And especially with the, the case of Goliath and see, we didn't even get into the Genesis question of who the Nephilim are, but, but, I, but the more I research it, the more I look into it and look at it even patristically. And certainly uh, when you get into the intertestamental period and all that stuff, I'm, I'm convinced it's giants. I think sure. sons of death is a little bit of a cop out because that to me is coming too close to, and, and some fa- fathers do say that, but some fathers do affirm giants but you always get the feeling that the only reason that they say it's not giants is because they're uncomfortable with it being giants. So they're like, well, it's too fanciful. Right. But, but I Goliath, mean, Goliath over here. But I mean, the, the Septuagint just says gigantes, right? Yeah. So giants. <laughs> yeah. Therefore it's giants. You can, you can go hang out with the Masoretes all you want. I'm over here with these guys. And that episode's coming, too. <laughs> that but, is coming, right. But, I mean, but the, the point is still, yeah, okay, so these men are abnormally tall. I mean, Goliath yeah. is quite a bit tall. And that's just a, I mean, yes, it is a recognition that, you know, normally we wouldn't be able to beat defeat a man that big because, I mean, we, we think of this all the time. Even with someone who's more within our realm of experience, say, like, being, like, 6'6 or 6'7, we say, you know, oh, they're huge. But to, yeah. But the point is, is that, by, you know, through God, through the Lord, Israel was able to overcome these, you know, giants, was able to overcome the, the large inhabitants of Canaan. And through the Lord, David was able to overcome Goliath. So, again, it is it does teach us something about trusting in the Lord, but you'll lose all of the force of that lesson if you're just trying to explain away. Oh, well, they, they aren't actually that tall. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's giants, man. All right, so moving on then, uh, and then the next one we're going to tackle, which might seem a little odd to you, is are angels and demons. These are spiritual beings, but they're still created. Right. So I, I think we can lump them safely into it. I want to talk about angels first, the good ones, uh, because they're horrifying in the Bible. <laughs> uh, but this is one everybody knows. This is a misconception nearly every Christian knows, that biblical angels are not depicted like they are in popular art. Right. And so it's no surprise that when angels had to be like, fear not, well, yeah, you get it. Like if you saw an actual biblical angel, they have to disguise themselves. Right. Uh, otherwise, you're just absolutely terrified. So in the case of uh, Lot, for example, they are in disguise. Right. And right. And, in, and in other places, they're not. <laughs> and well, it's... So so let's let's take the, the two most common examples that we yeah, have. So let's so like the seraphim coming out of uh, Isaiah chapter six, yeah. right? Uh, they're described as having six wings and flying about and singing. Seraph uh, actually as a Hebrew word means the, the burning ones, the ones who are like fire. So there's also that imagery going on there as well. So these six women, six winged uh, fiery creatures who are singing, holy, holy, holy. They're the ones who are in the presence of the Lord, you know, declaring his holiness. Yeah, that that ain't a, a cuddly little you know baby floating around on a cloud, right? Mm-hmm. Or you have the the cherubim themselves, notably described in the book of Ezekiel, and also in the book of Revelation. Something that we've talked about in our Revelation episodes. You know the 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 four faced creatures in the book of Ezekiel, uh, the ones having eyes everywhere, within and without. Yeah, yeah. Th- those who are at the uh, the four corners of the throne of God, you know, His throne guardians. So I mean, yeah, they they are terrifying creatures. Right? Yeah, and so there are two rather different depictions too. Mm-hmm. And then when they do appear, sometimes they just appear as men in white robes, for example. You know, notably right. in the New Testament. So I mean, really, hey, it's like what the Bible says: we might be entertaining angels unaware. Right. And so they are able to change their appearance. Right. 
the leopard can't change its spots, but the angel can change its 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 appearance, which is interesting. And that that's that's the difference between being physical and spiritual. Apparently, there's a little bit more uh, flux in the spiritual. I almost said fluid, which was a perfectly fine word until a few years ago. Now we can't say it. Now we can't use it anymore. It gets the wrong idea. Well, and speaking of that, there, there's another thing. You know, you get the gender of angels, and thanks to Dogma, everybody that movie, everybody thinks they've got it figured out. <laughs> but neither here. I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into that. Fair today. enough. Well, let me let me throw this one at you. Kind of a curveball, Willie. Sure. Um, yeah. Do you do you think the fiery sword guarding the way to Eden is a cherubim, or is it something different from the cherubim who are there? Man, that's a good question. I mean, I, I suppose that I always just. I mean, it, it, the Bible describes it just kind of being there on its own. Right. But he says he puts the cherubim uh, but he put it, there. But he, but he entrusts it to the cherubim. Right. So I kind of read it as, yeah, even though it, it, it almost reads like it's just floating there, that it's in the control of them. Okay. But maybe you could read it as, you know, this would be one way in which they appear. Yeah, I could. I think that that's perfectly, perfectly natural. But, I mean, I guess I've just always assumed that it's... Uh, you know, something they're using. I mean, you could see it as an independent thing. That's, that's, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll throw another one at you. You ready for okay. this? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, second Kings two, uh, Elijah going up into heaven in the whirlwind. Yeah. Uh, the chariots of fire and the horses of fire are, what, what are they? Well, no, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because in some descriptions of the flaming sword in the garden, that's connected to chariot wheels. Right. So, yeah, so you do, yeah, so you, you have uh, the chariots. Now, that's an interesting one because he is taken up into paradise. Right. And you could say that he's taken up into paradise by the same thing that is keeping Adam and Eve out of paradise. Sure, sure. I, I think you can make that connection pretty easily, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, because you also have uh, the Psalms describing, you know, God riding on the chariots, you know, and with the angels and stuff yes. like that. So I suppose you could say that the... The, the angels, in this sense, maybe they appear in the form of the chariot and the horses. Yeah, you know, and so to, to bear him up. Yeah, To bear him up to, to heaven. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the point being that there's lots of different ways in which uh, the angels are depicted within the scriptures. And it is a more, a what was the word? You don't want to say fluid, but you want to say a... Yeah, but I, <laughs> I mean, for lack of a better term, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a fixed thing. Exactly. But, and, yeah, go ahead. But I mean, but the point being, it's also not this cuddly, you know, or or mm-hmm. beautiful, you know, woman or this child or something like that. They are terrifying creatures, right? Um, and so then, on the more sinister side of it, what does that say about demons? We don't have the description of uh, demons like we do angels, right? We don't really know what, like, for example, when Satan tempts our Lord in the wilderness, we don't really know what he looks like, right? We know right. what he looks like in the garden. He's described as a serpent, which, by the way, there's another myth to bust. If you go on these popular Bible misconceptions, hey, did you know that in Genesis um, it doesn't say it's the devil? Well, Revelation says that ancient serpent, which is the devil. That's where Christians get it from. I'm sorry, cracked.com. Uh, you're, yeah, you're not really going to stump us after a couple millennia here. Read the whole Bible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so so we don't really have the description, but it does stand to reason that they could take on multiple forms. And that ties into what I was saying about these pagan gods having similar features all throughout cultures and cultures that are, at least since Babel, certainly since the flood, even more, you know, disconnected. Well, I mean, Paul's very clear when he says that, you know, Satan appears as an angel of light, by which he means that Satan is going to tr- attempt to appear to us in attractive ways. You know, he wants yeah. to deceive. He wants to make himself appear as something not what he is. And so, right, right. I mean, so, so when Revelation speaks of him as the great red dragon, you know, this is revealing the truth of his nature. This is seeing him for what he is, not as he actually presents himself to us. So, yeah, there would be a certain temptation, a certain allure to say, you know, his, his the demonic forms, you know, the, the, the pagan gods and stuff like that. Yeah. Even even seeing today with the the rise of more, you know, neo-pagan kind of things, trying to bring some of these things back. Sure. And and there is so I think in the ancient cultures there's a fearful presence that they have. So they they take on the appearance of these monster gods right. and it frightens people. Now they've adopted these symbols like say Baphomet, which is not really as ancient as people want to make it out, but they've still adopted Baphomet, for example. And it's kind of a 
it's meant to be kind of a stark and frightening creature, but they've adopted him as kind of a mascot. And so right. they find power in these images of demons. They find uh, strength uh, from their devotion to it, which will ultimately be their ruin. It's a, right. it's not it's not a good thing to put your trust in. And yet, Satan masquerades himself as an image. So Baphomet becomes an image of power and an image of liberation. Okay, an image of liberty. Very very dangerous to find liberty apart from Christ. And I say that not only for individuals but for societies as well. Right. That's how we've gotten ourselves into the mess that we're in. And so so Baphomet uh, is not Christian, and when they tie him to liberty, I think the more libertarian-leaning people might want to think about that a little bit and what that means. You know, are our libertarian friends more libertine? And can a Christian right. be a libertine? The answer is, of course, no. And you can't really just come down and say live and let live, but, but, but for a number of reasons. But this episode's about creatures, not about biblical law, but anyway— <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so you have those depictions. Now we're coming up on. Um, I'm just gonna, you know, kind of blow the UFO episode out of the water, part two. Anyway, now we are having Zelen. Uh, every day we're turning on TV, and there's more UFO videos being released. And I even saw, you know, like Today Show talking about it in 60 minutes. So now normie stuff, and people are kind of laughing at this, but some people are taking taking notice of it. And so a couple ways we can look at this, either. It's all a big fake distraction. And either way it comes down to this will be a distraction, people. It's all a distraction from something else going on, or this is going to be used as some kind of salvation from above tactics, some kind of intervention. Your world has a pandemic, you're at war, whatever. Here, we're come to help you. Right. If 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 that comes to pass, you can be sure that these are demons masquerading as saviors. Right. Although I'm I'm very much inclined at, at the moment to wonder, you know, okay, what, but what's really going on, kind of a thing. Yeah, and and like I said, it's either it's either a big fake op, it's either a big fake op or mass spiritual deception, and the two are not mutually exclusive, of course. Of course not, no. But the first thing that's going to happen is is some you know a reptilian will show up or some gray alien or whatever they're going to look like. They'll probably look like a '70s dudes. They'll probably look like when the RV looking spaceship from V lands. You know, and and the first thing that will happen is some Jesuit will try to baptize one of them or something like that. And all the Lutherans are going to go, wonderful, it's wonderful. They're baptizing demons now. And, yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. This is, um, we have quickly gone into crazy territory here, I realize. But... I'm not really sure where this episode is ending up. But... Right. My, my point is. Is that, what? yeah, as, as you had said rightly, that they disguised themselves as these things. And in ancient times, it was these terrifying things. And more and more, people are coming to embrace these depictions of demons, kind of like the ancient world did in a way, though, as images of power. And people will be wooed into demons as they don't believe that demons are, are real or they believe that, that signs in the sky are not somehow a big red flag. Um, and right. what's going to be terrifying is if we do have signs in the skies now that are deceiving us, they are either technology meant to deceive us or media distractions meant to deceive us or true uh, spiritual signs meant to deceive us. But the only sign we need to be looking for is our Lord and Savior coming on the clouds as he ascended, just as he ascended in the same way he will return. Yeah, all related to cryptids, by the way, because I believe that these these beings made by God will be used to deceive people. Because that's what demons are. Demons are cre are created beings, but now they are fallen and they seek to lead us astray. And so if we can look at the biblical witness for God's creation, how everything is under God's creation, and accept God's witness of how he made it and why things are made, then we are at less of a risk of being deceived by false signs and false yeah. things. Yeah. Well, very good. All right. Although Any, anything else? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to make a joke and say, you know, you're you're looking for signs in the sky, and I'm thinking more Mars attacks. But that's, <laughs> that's right. right there. Either way, we're going to keep doing these kind of episodes, and it's going to eventually be me just smoking cigarettes and taking calls live. <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. We're eventually going to get pulled off of uh, Podbean and everything else, and we're going to have to go on shortwave. And uh, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Let's do it. The only the only way it's going to be able to find us is like you know flyers that you have to hand out. Hand, you know. Yeah, everything is going to be is going to be like mimeographed, same as that uh, text for us. So. Uh, and that's that's when revival happens. Exactly.
Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, this has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zoe and Heidi. God love you and God bless. Canst thou draw Leviathan with an hook, or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put an hook into his nose, or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee? Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird, or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle, do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before him? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine.